everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 15. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on July 29, 2018. So this week, I'm going to skip straight to reading from Bionic Bug, since chapter 15 is quite a long one. Uh, Last week, Lara and Vic found Sully's journal on the burner cell phone. They were going through different entries when a fire broke out. Let's find out what happens next. Chapter 15, Hospital Room. When Lara opened her eyes, Panic overtook her at the unfamiliar surroundings. She gasped and scanned the room for information. The generic white walls, sterile environment, and rhythmic beeping of the heart monitor were unmistakable. Her stomach lurched. What happened to me? Her heart pounded in her ears as her mind returned to a similar setting from decades ago. Memories flooded into her head. Images of her father in a hospital bed, helplessly trapped in a coma, Lara snapped out of it, banishing the memories, and looked around the hospital room for answers. Flower arrangements sat on the table at the foot of her bed. An intravenous drip hooked into her left hand, causing some pain at the entry point. Several layers of bandages had been wrapped around her right arm. Her throat was scratchy and her lungs heavy. With her left hand, she felt plastic tubing sticking into her nostrils. Oxygen? After a few minutes, the memory of the fire and smoke rushed back to her. She sat up straight in bed, her heart racing. Where's Vic? Panicking, she pressed the call button on the remote sitting in her lap. Miss Kingsley, you're awake, a white-haired nurse said pleasantly, popping her head in the door. I'm Betsy Jenkins. I'll be looking after you today. The nurse fiddled with Lara's IV drip to make sure the feed was working. Where's Vic? Lara asked, her eyes darting back and forth. Her voice was raspy and weak. The beeping of the heart rate monitor sped up. Gasping for air, Lara coughed several times, her throat burning hotter with every dry bark. Sweetie, I'm going to need you to calm down, Betsy said. You're having trouble breathing from the smoke inhalation. If you get upset, you're only going to make things worse. Where's Vic? Lara repeated, this time with increased intensity. Oh, do you mean that nice young Indian boy? The nurse asked. Lara nodded. Betsy sat a tray of bland-looking food next to her bed. The familiar institutional smell made Lara pull up her nose. He spent all of yesterday and the whole night here watching you like a hawk. I sent him down to the cafeteria to get some breakfast an hour ago. Poor thing didn't sleep a wink. He brought you some things from home. Betsy motioned to the duffel bag on the chair next to the window. You're lucky to have such a loyal friend. Lara breathed a sigh of relief and then coughed several times. Vic was more than a loyal loyal friend. He saved my life. What's this? Lara said, raising her right arm. You burned your arm pretty badly in the fire, Betsy said, grabbing the chart. You were lucky, though. It's only a second-degree burn, and you didn't need a skin graft. It should heal up in about two to three weeks. I wouldn't expect any scarring, but you can see minor changes in the surface of your skin. Lara nodded. 
For a moment, she remembered the searing, stinging pain as the hot flames devoured her flesh. Lara shuddered, and her eyes wandered to the side of her hospital bed. A recent issue of Wired magazine sat on the table. Perfect distraction. She reached for it and pushed the painful memories away. Vic must have brought this from home. Is there anything I can get you? Betsy asked. Lars shook her head and flipped through the pages of the magazine. Okay, if you need anything, you know how to reach me. Betsy smiled warmly at her before leaving the room. It took only about 15 minutes before she got bored with the issues she'd already read three times. Lara leaned back in the bed and closed her eyes, exhaustion taking over. Just as she started to drift off, a soft knock on her door brought her back to full consciousness. Miss Kingsley, do you mind a few visitors? A familiar voice asked. Lara's eyes fluttered open. Oh, great. Sanchez stood in the doorway, looking sheepish and holding a plush teddy bear. Rob followed him into the room with a huge bouquet in his hands. The blood drained from her face. Oh, God, what's he doing here? Tempted to make a run for it, she glanced sideways at the machines next to her and followed the wires and tubes to where they were hooked into her own body. No way I'm getting out of here fast. Lara set, Rob set the arrangement on the table at the end of her bed and turned to face her. Lara forced a weak smile. Did you both come here together or something? Rob nodded. Detective Sanchez and I met when, we, when I bailed you out, and we ended up discussing Sully's murder case. Since the case involves biological weapons, it comes under federal jurisdiction. I assured the detective that we'll work together to solve the case, but only on one condition. Oh, and what's that? Lara winced as her voice squawked from her dry throat. That the D.C. police dropped the ridiculous charges against you, Rob said firmly. Lara's eyes widened. I see. Relief came over her, mixed with irritation. It was one less thing to worry about, but she didn't like the thought of Rob saving the day twice in 24 hours. Are you feeling okay? Rob asked. His face was pale and his curly hair rather unkempt. Huh, he looks like hell. Lara straightened up a bit and her cheeks warmed. Is he worried about me? Lara played it cool. Oh, I've had better days, I suppose, she said, her voice raspy. Sanchez held out a thin file to her for her to take. Here's what we have on Jan Spielmann, the man in the newspaper clippings you found. Lara gave the detective an angry look. Oh, are we working together now? Rob's shining knight in armor gesture didn't erase her anger with the detective. His ambush with his boss and the long night in jail still lingered fresh in her memory. Sanchez cleared his throat. Yes, about that. I think we went a bit too far. Oh, you think so? What changed? Do you realize you need my help now? Lara put her best scowl on, satisfied just a little, when the detective flinched at her harsh tone. She snatched the file from his hand and flipped through it, landing on a page with photos of Jan as a child and a young adult. He had bright, twinkling eye, blue eyes, rosy skin, and a very light blonde, straight hair, a towhead with Dutch ancestry. He looked healthy and happy. In the other picture, Jan posed with his violin as a teen. In the later pictures, his hair had grown darker, becoming a dull brown. As a young adult, Jan grew into a thin man, almost gaunt. His eyes were dark and haunting. His expression portrayed an eerie foreboding. She handed the file back to the detective. Hey, Rob, hand me a few pieces of paper from your pad, she said, picking up a pen off the table. 
Rob tore out a couple pages and handed them over. She mumbled her thanks, annoyed she had to ask him for anything. It's not much, Sanchez said as he nodded at the file. Spielman was born in 1960, an only child to a single mother. When his mother died in 1965, he was five years old. With no immediate relatives to take him in, he became an orphan and entered the foster care system. All we have from his childhood is that he was a prodigy violinist and joined the San Francisco Symphony at the age of 15. Wow, that's impressive, Laura said, scribbling some notes. The detective continued. His mother took out an insurance policy on herself, leaving him a great deal of money when he turned 18. It was enough to live on for many years if spent frugally or longer if invested in the stock market. After the court found in favor of the U.S. government in 1985, Jan Spielman moved to Maryland, somewhere near Silver Spring. We couldn't find an address under his name. In fact, we couldn't find another piece of information about him. He just vanished into thin air. He must have assumed another identity. Huh, that's interesting, Lara said, rubbing her chin. Sully wouldn't have hidden the newspaper clippings if they didn't matter. I mean, it was all that was left in his safe room. Obviously, he had gone to great lengths to find the articles, and maybe even worried that if someone destroyed them, they'd never be found again. She paused for a few moments. The detective stared at the floor, and an awkward silence fell between them. It was time for a change in subject, something Lara had been wondering since she woke up and remembered what happened. Detective, do you know how the fire started? Lara asked. Sanchez perked up. We found some evidence of arson. Someone struck, stuck a small incendiary device in your storage room and then dumped all the paper from your files onto the floor. The device had a timer and was triggered with a cell phone signal. There was plenty of fuel in the room, so the fire grew like crazy. Another period of awkward silence. Lara wished she could avoid eye contact, but she was stuck in her bed between the two of them. Lara, Vic told me someone was stalking you, Rob asked. His face went all puppy dog and as his brow, brow furrowed, like his feelings were hurt. Why didn't she come to me? Lara stared blurry-eyed at both men standing at the edge of the bed and shrugged awkwardly. Why wouldn't I go running to you, Rob? Take an educated guess. She ignored his question and turned to Sanchez. So what else did I miss locked up in this place? How long have I been out? The detective crossed his arms. The doctors put you in a medically induced coma for two days, but you didn't miss much. We did fingerprint analysis on the coffee cup and DNA traces on a half-eaten sandwich found in the safe room. We got no print matches in the DC or FBI databases. We also couldn't get a match from CODIS on the DNA profile. So someone else was drinking coffee and eating a sandwich in Sully's safe room. Who could have the codes? Lara asked. That's what I'd like to know, Sanchez said. We don't know who the prince belonged to, but we did discover an interesting match. Really? Lara sat up a bit straighter. The prince on the tiny scroll of paper you found, the one attached to your bike out at Fort Meade. She leaned forward in anticipation. Well, they matched the print on the coffee cup. Lara scratched her forehead with her good hand. Wait a sec. The person who left me the note on the bike was also in Sully's safe room. The detective nodded. Even stranger, remember we found no prints on your bike, but snagged some skin near the fuel line? Lara nodded. At first, I didn't get it. Why would someone leave a print on the note and nothing on the bike? Did he or she put gloves on after touching the note or wiping down the bike? Why not be more careful with the note? That is more a bit puzzling, Lara said. Maybe we're talking about two people? 
one person cut my fuel line and the other person left the note? That's exactly what I thought. And that's where the DNA results come in. While the prints on the note match the print from the coffee cup, the DNA we found on the bike doesn't match the DNA profile in the, from the safe room. After conducting a thorough search in CODIS and local databases, we found our first possible lead. Lars Paul sped up. What is it? The DNA profile from the skin belongs to a woman by the name of Marcia Husney. The Fairfax police found her DNA on a crime scene for a money laundering case 10 years ago. There's an outstanding warrant for her arrest as a person of interest, but the Virginia State Police weren't able to find her or any other evidence of her involvement. Honestly, they couldn't find anything substantial about her life before the crime. There were no pictures of her, no eyewitnesses, and she disappeared into thin air after the crime. The only thing the Fairfax police know about this Marcia person is that she seemed to be deaf in one ear. Really? The detective nodded. A vendor who spoke on the phone with her said Marcia mentioned it in the conversation. Huh. Weird. What sort of name is Marcia Husney? Lara asked, writing the name down on the paper and studying it. It's an alias. No, I mean, where does the name come from? Before the detective could answer, Mar Lara pulled up a website on her smartphone. See, the first name is Dutch for Martin. The last name is Arabic for beauty. What do you suppose that means? A random coincidence, I'm sure, the detective continued, clearing his throat. We also put a tail on Dr. Stepanoff and have mostly come up empty. I'm not surprised. Anyway, we did get one lead from it. Dr. Stepanoff met up with a young kid in his 20s, glasses, probably in college. The meeting between the two of them seemed off, strained. They got into it with each other, rather heated. That's all we got. Lars had snapped up to look at the detective. Her head was still foggy, but she remembered the kid from Sully's party. And then Vic telling her about Sully's assistant, Ashton? Sanchez tilted his head and raised an eyebrow. Does that mean something to you? Lara nodded. Before the fire broke out, Vic and I were reading through Sully's journal entries. Sully had an assistant named Ashton Grant. That could have been him. The detective took a step back, his eyes narrowing. What's this journal? Crap, here we go again. Uh, I found Sully's burner phone while I was at DARPA. Vic finally hacked the password and Sully had kept his journal on the phone. We were reading the journal entries when the fire broke out. We also have a name for a killer bot. Rob leaned in, suddenly interesting in the interested in the conversation. Who? John Fiddler. It turns out this Fiddler character hired Sully to investigate potential tech suppliers. Lara looked directly at Rob to see his reaction, but her ex remained stone-faced. Just like when he snuck around with Bimbo Barbie. Sanchez crossed his arms and glared at Lara. Why didn't you tell me sooner? Lara sighed. So much for their detente. Um, I've been a little preoccupied, she said, pointing to the medical equipment she was attached to. And besides, I didn't know if I had anything at the time. Now I do. And look, I'm telling you right away. She hoped this would satisfy him. It was mostly true. A muscle twitched in the detective's jaw. He looked like he might lose his temper at any moment. And if you're going to go there, I'm not the only one holding out on you. Special Agent Martin knew about Ashton all along, didn't you, Rob? She added a little bite to her tone. Rob said nothing, probably to avoid a confrontation with the detective who was bursting at the seams. Suddenly a wave of fatigue came over her. 
and she struggled to swallow, her throat a little swollen and quite raw. She tucked the notebook paper into the magazine, set it on the table next to her, and closed her eyes. When she opened her eyes a few minutes later, she could see the concern on Rob's face. We're going to find whoever did this, Lara, Rob said. But right now you should get rest. Get better, okay? Lara nodded. Santos looked uncertain as he handed her the brown teddy bear with a pink bow. I wasn't sure what to get you in the gift shop. I hope you like it. Lara forced a smile of appreciation. Thanks. It's a thought that counts. The detective followed Rob out of her room and shut the door. Lara set the bear on the table next to her. It didn't take long for her to fall into a deep sleep. Lara woke up in a cold sweat. The light of early morning poured through the hospital window. A dark shape lurked over her hospital bed. Through the haze in her eyes, all Lara could make out was a woman with long, dark hair. After blinking several times, Lara recognized blue eyes, always intense but glowing bright. Lara, I'm so glad you're okay, Justine said. I heard about what happened from Vic. I've been so worried about you. Oh, hey, Lara said, her voice barely above a whisper. Thanks for coming by. She rubbed her eyes, trying to get rid of the blur. Justine wore a black Blurberry trench coat, silk blouse and matching pencil skirt, and Armani sunglasses that were pushed up onto her forehead, holding her slick black hair into place. Justine towered over her in the hospital bed. I was hoping we might have a conversation about Sully's case, but I see you're in pretty rough shape. Yeah, Lara said half-heartedly. She wasn't really in the mood for talking, even if she could muster the words. Did you find anything out about Sully's killer? Justine asked, lowering her voice to a whisper. She stood too close. Why doesn't this woman understand personal space? Lara reached for her magazine and pulled out her notes and pen. A few things, I guess. She put her hand to her throat as it burned when she spoke. She might have overdone herself with Sanchez and Rob. The autopsy showed Sully was killed by a botulinum injection. Justine's mouth fell open. You mean Botox? Like the stuff I get injected into my face? So that's why she has no wrinkles. Lara nodded. We're not yet certain about the source, but it could have been cosmetic Botox. Have you checked out the local clinics? I could set you up with my dermatologist, Dr. Grayson, at Heavenly Cosmetics. Maybe he knows something that could help you. Lara gave her a weak smile as she jotted down the information. Yeah, that would be great. She was down to a coarse whisper. Just then, Vic appeared in the doorway holding an iced latte and a chocolate croissant. Lara grinned at him from ear to ear, relieved to see his smiling face. You need to give your vocal cords some rest, he said with a smile. Ah, you must be the infamous Frickrum, Justine said. We spoke over the phone about Lara's bike. Lara perked up. Ms. Marsh, thanks again for your help rescuing Lara's motorcycle from NSA's security personnel. I'm sure Lara feels extremely indebted to you. Lara bobbed her head up and down. Yes, she whispered. Thank you. Happy to help, Justine said. I was just asking Lara if you learned anything new about the case. Uh, Vic looked at Lara, his eyes wide. Uh, no, ma'am. We don't have any new information. I'm sure Lara will follow up with you when she gets better. If you don't mind, I think she needs to get some rest. Justine patted Lara's arm and nodded. Yes, of course. I don't want to overstay my welcome. Lara, please give me a call when you're feeling up to it. Lara agreed and watched watch Justine leave the room. She motioned to Vic to close the door. He did so gently and came to sit next to her in bed. Lara smirked, pointing to the plastic cup. He grinned. 
I know you hate iced coffee, but I figured make, uh, make an exception this time. What was that all about? She wanted. Lars started out at regular volume, but grabbed her throat when a sharp needle-pricking pain assaulted her. Vic handed Lara the iced coffee, and she sipped eagerly, grimacing as the cool liquid went down. Her shoulders and neck relaxed almost as soon as the caffeine reached her stomach. She wanted an update on the case. She seems to think her colleague Anton Stupinov might have something to do with Sully's death, Lara said. I know she helped me recover your bike, but there's something off about that woman. Lara agreed. Justine seemed a bit off, but she liked her. How long do I have to stay locked up in here? The doctor said several more days. But why? Lara pouted. She'd rather jump from the hospital window than lie in a bed for another minute. Vic sighed. He said the damage caused to your lungs from smoke inhalation makes you susceptible to infections. They have to keep you for observation and administer antibiotics intravenously for a few days. Why didn't you suffer any smoke inhalation? Lara asked defensively. Oh, the doctor said I was lucky. But before I ran down the hallway after you, I grabbed a damp towel to hold in front of my face. Smart thinking, Vic, Lara frowned. She wished she had done the same. How bad is the townhouse? Pretty bad. The first floor has a lot of damage from the fire, the water, and the chemicals they used to put it out. We're not going to be able to get back in there for several weeks until the contractors repair everything. Did we lose all our hardware? Lara asked. She didn't have the money to replace any of it. Thankfully, she hadn't let her payments on rental insurance lapse. Vic nodded gloomily. Even Sully's cell phone didn't survive. In my apartment? Lara flinched, anticipating the response. Mostly intact with some smoke damage. I had the insurance guy come over to start a claim. We should have it cleaned up for you soon. Suddenly, Lara's stomach lurched. What did I do with my baseball glove? Do you remember if I brought my glove to the office? She asked. Vic eyes widened. Uh, yeah, you were using it like you always do when we were going through information on Sully's phone. I, I hope it's okay. Then another realization hit Lara square in the stomach. Oh, crap, Vic. I totally forgot you moved into the office with all of your stuff. Did you lose it? Yeah, it's gone. Vic hung his head and his eyes watered up a little. That's terrible. I'm so sorry, she said. And here I'm worried about my own stuff. Vic shrugged. It's not a big deal. I didn't lose anything sentimental or valuable. Just clothes and my school books. But where are you going to stay, Vic? Lara asked, guilt washing over her. It was her fault he had to move to the office in the first place. I'm crashing at my friend's place until we get the office in better shape. I'll move back in as soon as it passes the safety inspection. Lara sighed. She was thankful the fire had not reached her apartment. She backed up her work files digitally in multiple places, but she didn't like losing her paper copies. She tended to solve crimes using papers and photos rather than digital files. Hard copies were somehow more steadfast. Laura, I hate to bring this up right now, but in light of losing everything, we didn't finish our conversation about Sully's journals. There's more? Toward the end of Sully's entri entries, he became increasingly focused on Cybershop. He was convinced Cybershop was a double agent of some sort. What do you mean? Laura asked. He seemed to think Cybershop worked for the U.S. government and was selling military-grade technology for cash on the side, possibly in collusion with someone else. You realize Cybershop was part of the sting operation, right? Rob could be involved somehow. Yeah, Vic said. I'll keep searching the dark web and see what I can find. He rose to his feet. 
Hey, before I forget, the executor of Sully's estate left a note for you at the townhouse. Huh? Who? Lara wrinkled her brow. I don't know, some lawyer by the name of Wyatt Turner? Anyway, he said he's been trying to get a hold of you, but doesn't think he has the right number. Vic pulled a slip of paper from his pocket and handed it, it to her. His contact information is on the note he left. Did he say what he wanted to talk to me? Lara asked. Vic shook his head. Lara studied the writing and slid it into the magazine for safekeeping with her other notes. Sully had a will? I feel terrible about missing his funeral. Her face fell and her eyes welled up with tears. Quickly, she pulled her emotions back. Not in front of Vic. She hadn't a free moment to mourn the loss of her good friend. She knew she was still in shock and feared waves of grief would soon consume her. When she'd let herself grieve her relationship with Rob, it knocked her out for months. It terrified her to think of putting down her walls to grieve Sully's death. How long till I feel normal again? Vic nodded, his eyes downcast. I'm sure Sully would understand and be glad you made it out of that fire alive. Lara, you should get your rest. I'm going to my friend's place and get some sleep. I'll be back soon. Okay, Lara paused for a moment. Thanks for saving my life. Her eyes glistened. A thank you wasn't enough, but it was all she had at the moment. Any time, Lara. Vic smiled. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.